Hello, and welcome to the Health Trip Podcast with me, Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach located in Chicago. I'm the founder of Jill Foos Wellness, a private concierge health coaching business where I work with individuals, groups, and corporations diving deep into helping folks discover their own unique health equation to optimize their wellness. Join me and my guests as we venture down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms, perusing new innovative therapies, modalities, and protocols while living our best life. On today's podcast, I welcome Dr. Amber. Dr. Amber is a licensed naturopathic doctor at MetroMD Institute of Regenerative Medicine in LA. She is trained in regenerative medicine, detoxification protocols, hormone testing and treatment, bioidentical hormone therapy, anti-aging protocols, peptide therapy, and IV nutrient therapy. She also has a private practice in Redondo Beach, California, where she specializes in peptide therapy and bioidentical hormones. Dr. Amber was awarded the bachelor degree in biology with a minor in chemistry from NDSU in Fargo, North, North Dakota. During this time, she found a passion in nutrition and holistic health and converted this interest into a career and went on to complete a four-year medical degree at the prestigious Bastyr University in San Diego. During her clinical years at BUC, Dr. Amber interned at Alternative Health Access Campaign in Seattle, a clinic that focuses on bringing naturopathic treatment to at-risk youth and homeless adults. As a medical student, Dr. Amber was handpicked as a member of the Naturopathic Medical Student Association as the professional development chair and was also gifted the prestigious Braggs Foundation Scholarship Award. Okay, I need to take a deep breath because wow, that is a lot. And maybe you need to take the deep breath. I do too. <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Amber. So glad to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so glad that you reached out. We connected and this is a really... Uh, informative, I think a topic that a lot of women are, and men might be interested in hearing about. Absolutely. Before we dive in, I do want to just mention a little medical disclaimer to all of the listeners out there that we are here to share information, science, suggestions, lifestyle changes, but we are not here to be your doctor. So whatever nuggets you walk away from after listening to this episode, take those to your primary care physician, talk about these things, and, and then see if any of these changes are right for you. So today, Dr. Amber joins me to deep dive into female hair loss. I've been searching for months to find the perfect experts to be my guest on this podcast and to bring all of you the most current science on this topic that no women want to talk about. I was introduced to Dr. Amber through the director of my alma mater, the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. So thank you to Dr. Sandy Scheinbaum. As a midlife woman myself, I too have experienced hair shedding, which is truly frightening. And it's a never one and done situation. As a functional medicine health coach, I spend a lot of time on my own health issues and I'm always striving to perfect my health equation, nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress management, supplementation, and mindfulness. It's a full-time job and it's never perfect and it's always changing. And taking a shower and noticing more than usual hair shedding was very traumatic for me. And I know it's an awful experience for my midlife female clients as well. And like Dr. Amber said, many men have the same experience and want to find ways and solutions to live with a full head of thick, gorgeous hair. So here we are. Before we dig in, Dr. Amber, tell us how about your own journey and how you got to be a naturopathic doctor. And first, actually explain what an ND actually is, because 
no one's ever really explained what that definition um, of that practitioner is to my uh, followers. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for that beautiful intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I am a licensed naturopathic doctor in the state of California, and essentially what that means is uh, we are trained like a conventional MD in terms of our years of training and our patient clinicals. Uh, I saw over a thousand patient contacts during that time in school and uh, in clinicals. And then we have rounds of boards that we take as well that are very similar but different to uh, conventional MD school. And we learn a lot more about nutrition and botanical medicine mm -hmm. and some of these other modalities, but we have a lot of um, <clears throat> basic science training. So we have a whole year of cadaver dissection, and we really learn medicine uh, in depth like a conventional MD, but we have different therapies. So we're really supporting the body. We're removing obstacles to cure. We're looking at diet, lifestyle, nutrition, sleep, stress. Um, a lot of the approach that I have now is cellular medicine, so focusing on what's happening in the cell that's going wrong, uh, that's causing symptoms at a, at a more global or larger scale. And so yeah, I really feel like this is the heart of uh, medicine is looking at all of these different aspects of life and helping somebody in their current environment and situation uh, because there's some things that we can't avoid, but setting them up to win and giving them tools because we all have you know autonomy and um, over our own body. And so we, we make choices that impact us too, but it's really about treating the whole person and removing whatever we can that's in, in the way of that person getting better and healing. I love that description of an ND and it's so important to build a team of people around you that are going to help support your overall well-being and look for root cause information to help you obtain the health goals that you have. So super important. So it's estimated that about 30 million women in the US experience hair loss, female pattern hair loss. Um, what are some of these factors that are leading into hair thinning and hair loss? And are there different types of hair loss? And I know I have my own experience that I will share later, but tell us what, what's going on here. Yeah, so there's, there's so many factors and many women will, the first person that they talk to about something like this is actually their hairdresser. Mm. oftentimes right they mention yeah. that to their hairdresser and uh, there may be certain things that your hairdresser could recommend but oftentimes it goes a lot deeper in terms of what's happening with the hormones and nutrient absorption and gut health and we'll talk more about that but yeah um, it's really something that you want to bring up to your practitioner ideally uh, a holistic practitioner who can evaluate some of these root cause reasons as to why your hair might be thinning or you might have actual bald spots on your scalp. And so there are some different types of hair thinning hair loss. One of the more common ones is um, alopecia caused by high testosterone, so androgenic alopecia. So this is common in men where they get that male pattern balding. Women can experience it as well. Um, but we look at hormones like testosterone and specifically DHT, which is that really active form of testosterone that can cause some of that uh, balding pattern. And so that's one of them. There's also uh, what we call telogen effluvium, and that is really happening when our body goes 
for stress, for a stressful period like childbirth. Uh, we're maybe malnourished. We have an infection. We're in the hospital. Uh, major surgery, extreme stress, a trauma, a car accident, something of that nature. That's where a hair can uh, turn into this uh, telogen effluvium state. And effluvium is, you can think about that as the uh, thin kind of feathers that would be on a, like a duck or a, mm -hmm. <laughs> a bird, right? So effluvium is kind of that light, fluffy um, hair. And so our, our hair will go out of that growth phase and go into the resting phase. And so that's not what we want, right? We can talk more about the stages of hair growth, uh, but usually that's due to a stress. So we'll shift our body in out of growth phase. There's also antigen effluvium, and that's a type of hair loss that can happen more in chemotherapy when we actually halt the cell. We cause damage to the dividing cell. And so that's a different type. Uh, we actually affect the metabolic activity, and that's what happens in chemo. And then we have alopecia areata, which is really an autoimmune process that happens, where we actually get bald spots, patchy spots. So areata means that patchiness. And then we can have something called traction alopecia, which is what you tend to see in women who are in ballet or gymnastics and they pull their hair really mm. tight in ponies mm -hmm. or uh, women who have braids in their hair that are really tight pulling on their hair or uh, even extensions can cause that sort of an issue where you have tight pulling of the, the shaft and the, and the scalp. And so the traction is often not as much related to uh, it could be related to some of those deeper factors like hormones and stress and gut health and thyroid, but that could also be more of an environmental, uh, just actual traction pulling out the hair. And so those are the main ones uh, that we tend to see. So let's talk about the stress hormone and hair thinning, because um, after you just mentioned all of that, I'm thinking back on my own personal experience. I'm 53. At 50 is when I noticed my hair shedding. Um, it was horrifying for me, and it just felt like it was never going to stop. When I look back on that time in my life, I think about my life circumstance. I was in the middle of a divorce. Um, I was in school for functional medicine, health coaching. I had five kids, uh, just a lot of moving parts and not feeling great just because it was a bad time in our lives. And, um, and when I say our lives, I mean my whole family, you know, and the stress was just off the charts. And my doctor said, you know, that when you have a stressful situation, a stressful event, it usually takes about three to six months to then see the effects of the stress in terms of hair shedding and hair loss. So that cycle was vicious for me and went on and off for about a year until, because when you start taking care of it, it takes time. Hair doesn't grow overnight and we're not the chia pet. I wish we were, but we're not, <laughs> right? <laughs> So what's going on with the stress hormone in, in all of us that causes this? Yeah, yeah. So it's a great question. I had a similar experience in med school where my hair was falling out because I was under a lot of stress and I was waking up every night. And so we know that that stress hormone uh, impacts all of these different systems in the body. So what, what high cortisol levels do, do in the short term is they're anti-inflammatory. If you produce them on a one-time need to run from a bear 
on one day. What happens when we produce cortisol in high levels over a long period of time, months, under a lot of pressure, we have family uh, duties, uh, financial you know, bills to pay, lots of things on our plate. When that happens over a long period of time, we know that it can actually impact downstream other hormones, like thyroid hormone, like uh, our sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Uh, it can also uh, kill these thymocytes, so cells in the thymus related to immune function, and that plays a role in hair and skin growth as well, healthy skin repair and, and hair. So uh, that's also a factor is that thymus gland gets impacted. But we know that the effect tends to, we have this stressful period, right? And then we can tend to see the hair falling out uh, later on. So the cortisol it, over months of producing high levels can actually uh, increase what we call pro-inflammatory cytokines. So these inflammatory molecules, right, that damage all sorts of tissues, including the thymus, uh, and can have some downstream effects on other hormones. And so we know that the cortisol can actually shift us into that, again, that um, stop the growth phase and put us in more of that resting hair phase. Because if you think about it, our body is really smart and it's very efficient. And if we're trying to survive, we're in survival mode, we're only going to give all of the nutrients or all of the resources to the essential systems in the body. And hair is mm -hmm. a very accessory piece, right? So if there's anything that we're going to have to um, cut off for resources, it's going to be hair and, and probably reproduction, right? We see that in a lot of women where um, they'll have a difficulty conceiving or they'll have changes to their right. sex hormones, right? So that's commonly what happens, that stress can uh, cause a distribution of resources to essential systems in the body <laughs> and, and not to the hair. And we also know that stress can cause leaky gut, right? So that intestinal permeability picture. And if we have that going on, then we can have immune reactions to food, food sensitivities, we can have nutrient depletions because even though we might be eating a robust diet, we can't absorb all of it in the gut lining appropriately. And so then we end up you know, nutrient deficient as well. And those, some of those nutrients are critical for hair growth. And so it's a kind of a downstream effect where we see the hair thinning and hair loss happening uh, due to that, that stress hormone. And then you look at the effect on progesterone, testosterone, uh, the role that cortisol plays in blood sugar regulation. So women with PCOS tend to have those high testosterone levels, lots of hair thinning, uh, typically younger women. And that testosterone, high DHT or high testosterone, right, will, will impact the hair follicle. Uh, but also the blood sugar regulation issue where they have high insulin levels leading to high testosterone, that can be inflammatory and continue that process. Anytime we have these uh, inflammatory molecules floating around in the body from that high stress hormone, we can end up uh, seeing changes to hair. It's really, really interesting how the body knows exactly where to apply its nutrients and its energy when you're in a state of stress like that. And it's so true. And the what's the sad part is historically women are viewed as being these beautiful, super 
humans who are meant to reproduce and have all these babies and raise them. And it's the two things that you just mentioned, you know, because we're so connected to our hair. You know, we go on Instagram, you can go on any social media platform or watch any TV show. And there's always just beautiful hair with on these beautiful women. And so what happens when these two things are stopped or halted temporarily, it causes even more stress. And so then you have the cycle of stress. You know, your doctor will tell you, meditate, take a bath, take walks, work on your breathing technique. And I did all that, but I was still super stressed, right? So it's just, um, we'll talk about ways in which to implement different lifestyle changes to help support healthy hair growth and, and stress. But what a great segue into hormone replacement therapy. And especially testosterone, I took testosterone pellets and there was one time where the pellets, um, so for those of you who don't know what testosterone pellets are, they're these tiny little pellets um, that look just like a pellet that would come out of a pellet gun or something. And depending on your levels of your hormone, they are placed subcutaneously on the side of your tush and they should last about Know, three to five months, depending on your activity level and other factors. Um, and then you probably get them three or four times a year. They can be pretty costly. And it is not, um, there's, there's no perfect number for a woman. The doctor tries to hit the number that he or she wants to get you at, but no one knows exactly how your body's going to respond to it until you take it. And I believe the first time I took it, my testosterone went up to over 900, which for those of you who don't know, that would be like my 18 year old professional athletic son. <laughs> That's not what you want in a, as a, a female. So I also experienced hair shedding from that. So talk about hormone repla replacement therapy and how to how to mitigate and support HRT without losing having all this hair shedding? Yeah, that's a great uh, add-in. So many times, what women will notice is there are, if they are entering into a phase of perimenopause into menopause, you can see hair thinning from the loss of hormones, uh, but also from too much, right? So that's why. Uh, working in women's hormones is a very delicate place because we don't want to overshoot and we certainly want to have enough hormone in your system to support bone health and hair growth and all of these um, normal functions. And so, yeah, the uh, I test frequently. I will um, look at something like the Dutch test hmm. for hormones. Mm -hmm and see where we're at on that sort of a scale. We get really a full picture of what's happening with not only uh, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, but also um, we can look at glutathione levels, we can look at melatonin levels, we can look at cortisol levels, and those actually play a, a big role because we know that inflammation or inflammatory signaling can also have a very detrimental effect on hair growth. Right? When your body's inflamed, it's hard to give energy to accessory things like hair. And so, uh, yeah, the other, I think, hormone that we should add to the conversation is thyroid. So mm. it's really when, when we put somebody on thyroid hormone, 
Um, not everybody will need to be on thyroid hormone, but many women will have some sort of hypothyroid or hyper. And when we get that hyperthyroid picture, even hypo, we can see hair thinning and hair loss. And so the medication dosing for that is really uh, also, we have to test frequently and make sure that we're not causing hair loss by some sort of medication. There are a lot of medications that do, that can cause hair loss as well. Um, what are some of those? Yeah, so antidepressants, SSRIs, mm -hmm. uh, we know that the thyroid meds can, birth control pills definitely can because they shut off that connection from the brain to the ovaries. Uh, acne medications can definitely do that, so the one that the retinoid in, uh, anything that lowers cholesterol can do that because that's a precursor to our hormones. Any, uh, for my women with autoimmune conditions who are given hum Humira, um, Remicade, some of these highly suppressive biologic drugs, those can definitely shut off uh, hair growth. They can uh, impact hair loss. NSAIDs, so any sort of pain reliever that woman might pop a pill every month for, for her cycle or uh, for someone who's constantly in pain or constantly taking NSAIDs, so that can affect mitochondrial function, and that's really where all of our hormones are made, including uh, cortisol, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, all made in the mitochondria. So recurrent use of pain reliever medications, uh, obviously chemotherapy medications, uh, some other weight loss medications can do that. But a lot of medications can cause hair thinning and hair loss, so that's another thing to consider. Yeah, I often have um, midlife-aged women um, clients who come to me and just like myself experiencing that that periodic hair shedding. And I have a section on one of my health history forms to fill out for all of the supplements and pharmaceuticals you're on at that time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these lists are, as you've seen in your uh, practice, are so long. They could be 20 deep of pharmaceuticals. Forget the supplements for a second, but the pharmaceuticals, antidepressants, anti-anxiety, uh, a weight loss pill, sleeping pill. And then they are trying to take other medications to reverse some of the things the medications are doing. And so they're taking one pill to do one thing and another pill to reverse what that pill is doing because they don't like certain effects. And it becomes this horrific cycle. And then of course you've got a leaky gut and a leaky brain because that's what all this medication does to us. So how do you, if a woman came into your practice and that was the scenario, what would your first steps be to take? Yeah, uh, so it, it, I mean, it's highly dependent, but a, a lot of times, for example, with women who have autoimmune conditions and they're on strong biologic medications, we're trying to find other ways to help their immune system to modulate instead of some of these strongly suppressive immunosuppressive drugs. Uh, there are some peptide options for that that I use, uh, restoring gut health. So I'm, I'm putting them on sort of a, a gut repair protocol, usually utilizing something like BPC-157, which is a peptide for repairing that mucosal lining in the gut. Uh, but yeah, we know that the medications can cause a lot of, uh, they're, they're a stressor to the body. And really any sort of stressor can impact hair thinning and hair loss. You think about traveling, changing time zones, 
even changing your diet is a stressor to the body for a period of time. Um, dehydration, changing climates, right? Going from a cold climate to a hot, hot, 100, over 100 degree climate is a stressor to the body and that can mm -hmm. uh, impact things like gut health and, and hair growth. And so, yeah, we're, we're doing everything we can to regulate her sleep-wake cycle, regulate her cortisol levels, uh, support her gut health. And if there are certain medications that she needs to stay on for a period of time, uh, we're supporting everything else that we possibly can and all those other systems. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky business. It's very complicated. So there's a few things I want to unpack from that um, answer. Let's talk about new ways of eating. And then I want to talk about peptides. So when women and men, but we're talking about women here, go on a new type of eating pattern. Let's say they're coming from the standard American diet, the SAD diet, and now they're going to do you know, keto or maybe they're going paleo keto and then they emerge into a carnivore type diet. Why, what is it about changing your diet that's affecting your hair growth? Yeah, so multiple things. We know that even if you change your diet three, within three days, your entire microbiome, you can have shifts in the microbiome, right? If we go from a plant-based to a more carnivore or meat-based diet. There's also, uh, we have to think about our body's capacity to digest these foods. So if we're eating a lot more plant food and then we shift to more meat, our body has to produce different enzymes. It has to produce more HCL. It has to adapt to this change. And that takes some time. It could be a stressor initially. And if we don't have enough hydrochloric acid, that stomach acid, we can't break down our proteins appropriately and we maybe can't absorb them quite as well if we don't have the enzymes or the, the stomach acid there. And so that in itself uh, could potentially lead to some sort of hair thinning initially just because your body has to compensate for that change in, in upregulating or changing uh, what it's producing to actually digest your food. And also the, the microbiome. So what are the gut bugs and how are they processing mm -hmm. uh, that food? And so there's a bit of an adaption process and sometimes you can see some changes to hair at, at that point in time. You may even feel a little bit more uh, changes in energy and, and just other things that you notice just because your body's trying to adapt to that, right? And so... Uh, but the long-term effects of diet change, we don't really see that quite as much as long as your body's able to adapt to that. And, you know, as we age, our stomach acid can decrease as well. So I, a lot of my women who are in that perimenopausal phase, uh, we see that they just, they may have indigestion, they may not digest things quite as well. And so we're looking at optimizing, or what can we add in? How can we support them to digest more of these foods, protein-rich foods, which have those amino acids, which can help be building blocks for cells, uh, specifically even for hair. So yeah, let's talk about protein for a minute, because I am mostly a carnivore, probably about 90% of a carnivore. And I've been that way for almost two years now. And while I feel amazing, and I have half a thyroid, so I've been chasing thyroid labs for 25 years, it totally evened out my thyroid balance. Like my thyroid numbers have never looked better than when I was a carnivore. Amazing. At the same time, 
just like what you're saying with the stress of changing a diet, I, can't, I went from keto to carnivore, I had hair shedding. And here I am eating mounds and mounds of grass-fed, pasture-raised, wild-caught animal and fish protein every day. And I still had that. And here I have all these amino acids floating around doing what they're supposed to be doing. Do you see any correlation between types of diets and more hair shedding or less hair shedding? Great question. I think, yeah, so it, it can change based on the content of the food and, and mostly because we're talking about your body's ability to digest it, right? And so uh, talking about the stomach acid and if you are eating a very carnivore rich diet, your body's always digesting protein and always needs to produce HCL and needs more of those uh, protease enzymes to break that down versus more of a plant-based diet, um, more of the cellulase we need you know, maybe a little bit less HCL to break that down. And so, yeah, it can definitely vary based on the diet. Uh, there, there are a lot of benefits to having more of the protein-rich foods for many of those B vitamins, B12, we know, um, not only the amino acids, but the iron level as well. So oxygenating the tissues, including the, this, the hair follicle. So anemia is a, also a potential other cause leading to hair hair loss right? mm. because we're not mm -hmm. actually able to oxygenate the tissues and you'll somebody who's anemic you'll look more pale feel more fatigued uh, harder to exercise run they get more fatigued when they're doing activity and so yeah uh, there are you know everybody has a different experience with with diet because there are some people who uh, for a period of time when they switch to a more plant-based, they may feel like, they may report that their hair is thicker, but usually over the long haul, we can tend to see declines because of these nutrient deficiencies. So it's harder to do more of a vegetarian vegan diet well, because you have to have a professional team on board just supplementing with the things that you're missing that you need for hair growth and for you know other functions in the body as well. So yeah, the, the amino acids, I think it's a strong point for women to have enough amino acids from protein-rich foods. You can also supplement with them. Peptides are really just combinations of amino acids, so they serve a, serve a similar function that way. Um, but your body needs amino acids for building blocks to make hair, skin, nails, all of these different co components, uh, repair tissues, repair the gut lining. Uh, so. Yeah, it, it varies based on report, but I think it's really just focusing on helping that woman to digest her food well, regardless of, of what she may be eating. Yeah, and, and to that point, whatever that optimal diet is for said person, and for me, it's a, a heavier meat-based, animal-based diet, you still can have a situation where your cells are not getting all of the bioavailable nutrients. And so here I am eating all this healthy, beautiful, animal-based food. And I happen to take a nutrient um, absorption test from SpectraCell because I wanted to see were my cells getting everything that I was feeding them. And, and guess what? They weren't. 
Uh, there's probably 12 major vitamins and minerals that I'm not being able to absorb into my cells. And so I have to supplement with even more am powdered amino acids, carnitine, arginine. Um, I've got some glutathione. I mean, you name it, it's in there for me. And it's such a pain in the butt. And I can see how a lot of women out there become so frustrated, which keeps the stress cycle going because here you are trying to do all the right things, get enough sleep, exercise, get fresh air, have a sense of community, being mindful, eating, you know, feeding your body and nourishing your body really well. And, and to not be able to absorb all those beautiful nutrients is such a downer. Right. So have you experienced that in your practice? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's why a lot of the therapies that I use more of now are bypassing that gut absorption mm. on purpose. Um, because especially anybody, any woman, man with autoimmune conditions, autoimmune gut issues, uh, potentially even thyroid issues, right? So for a little bit hypo, we're going to have sluggish motility and difficulty digesting and probably low production of enzymes, low production of HCL with a slightly sluggish thyroid. And so, yeah, um, I use, I use more now intranasal forms. I use patches, all sorts of patches for different reasons that transdermally absorb. I use injections when possible, subcutaneous injections, um, you know, of course, we want to focus on uh, building the gut, but for somebody who's really chronically ill, sometimes we need to repair the gut before they can actually absorb well, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's an, it's an epidemic of, um, of leaky gut because we're all under a lot of stress and oftentimes mm -hmm. for your standard American diet for people who are eating gluten and some of these foods that can damage that gut lining, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's paramount. Fix the gut, and while you're fixing the gut, adding in things that don't have to be absorbed through the gut. I, I, that's the approach that I take for helping really chronically ill uh, individuals. So let's talk about peptide therapy, because uh, I know you're also the peptide therapy queen, and I've read a lot of information that you've written on peptide therapy. I have taken peptides, and um, I think that they are the way of the future for sure. And some of my kids who are athletes have taken them as well for um, athletic recovery. Tell us what is peptide therapy? What are peptides and how does this even work? And then which ones would be applicable to hair loss? Yeah, great. So this is a newer, well, th this is a therapy that's been around since the 1980s. There's research in Russia and Germany on peptide therapy, but essentially what, is, what a peptide is, a lot of people might've heard that word from their collagen peptide supplement, maybe their skincare product mm -hmm. that had peptides in it. And so the peptide is just a chain of amino acids. And our body needs specific, it needs amino acids as building blocks. We already mentioned that. And so different combinations of these amino acids, you can think about it like a train, like boxcars in a train connected to each other by peptide bonds. And so this specific combination of amino acids connected sends a signal to the body. Uh, and oftentimes when we're talking about hair thinning and hair loss and aging, we can use that for 
stimulating stem cells in the hair follicle, for stimulating collagen synthesis, for uh, improving repair pathways while we're sleeping, optimizing deep sleep. And so those are uh, a lot of the ways that I like to use peptides therapeutically. There's the cosmetic part of that where you can use them for cosmetic reasons, but you can also use them to restore function in the thymus gland, so that immune gland. Uh, we can support repair of the adrenal gland, support of mitochondrial function, which for women who are producing hormones, our mitochondria is really where all that's made. So that's a huge uh, difference in the way that I focus on hormone health with women is the mitochondria as well. So uh, essentially we're sending a signal to the body when we administer a peptide therapy, whether that be via injection, you can actually do a subcutaneous injection of that, or there's creams, topical creams that I'll use in skin conditions, acne, psoriasis, eczema, uh, and they help to really send a signal to quelch inflammation or to downregulate uh, the inflammatory process uh, through helping the body to do that itself. So the, the paramount piece about peptides is that we're not suppressing anything. They're not immunosuppressive. They don't suppress what's happening in the body. They improve the body's ability to regulate and do its own function. So that's really why they fit into natural medicine and why they they're in my toolbox because I like utilizing therapies that are gonna improve the body's own work. Um, maybe it hasn't been doing that as efficiently to repair the skin, to repair the hair, uh, or repair the gut lining. And so now we add in a signal to do that. What kind of doctor besides an MD, and you're in California, would somebody, let's say in Chicago, go to, to have a consultation on peptide therapy? Is it expensive? Does insurance cover it? How often do people need to keep this up? What are all the little things? Yeah, so there's uh, there's some organizations that train practitioners. I was trained through an organization called A4M, the Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine and Peptide Therapy. So you can go to their website, you can uh, look for a practitioner in your area, and you can search based on specialty so you can find somebody who actually is trained in peptide therapies which is ideal because uh, there are things to there's protocols and contraindications and certain things to know about how to use them appropriately and so yeah that's a great place to look there's another organization that i was trained by uh, it's called ssrp dr seeds dr william seeds runs that and they have a whole network of practitioners trained in peptide therapy as well and so there are places uh, in the Midwest, there's, there's practitioners around the country, there's MDs, DOs, NDs, NPs, <laughs> all sorts of practitioners who utilize this therapy. It just requires some training before they can use it in their practice. So not every doctor will have this on board. All right. So it's not going to be your, your conventional, traditional MD that you go to every year for blood work or if you have the flu. So... Just remember, um, at the end of this, I will list off all of these um, places that Dr. Amber is referring to, as well as her own contact information. Um, with pe Besides peptide therapy, what are other hair loss modalities that could be incorporated to start healthy hair growth again? Yes. So thinking about the approach that we take addressing the whole person in terms of 
health. So looking at gut health, I would say a, a great place to start would be running a hormone test. So thyroid panel, running a Dutch test, seeing what your cortisol, your melatonin, your glutathione levels are. And then running, yeah, thyroid panel uh, and, a, and a stool panel. So we're looking at what's happening in the gut. Do we have a lot of inflammation? Do we have leaky gut? Do we have high zonulin happening? And so those are that's a really good baseline of where you're at. And then from there, whatever we find on those tests, we'll add in the appropriate therapy. And that might be a gut repair protocol. That might be, I like to use uh, BPC that for hormones. It may be restoring the hormone balance through seed cycling or through adding in evening primrose oil or certain therapies to boost, boost specific hormones like progesterone. For women who are in menopause, we're looking at the bioidentical hormones um, because when our hormones tank in that period of time, we can see hair thinning and hair loss. So we really need to protect those tissues by adding in the right hormone to, to signal that. Or uh, running the test frequently enough so that it's not high like it was in, in your mm -hmm. case, right? Uh, so those are two places to start. Other therapies that can be used are the topical peptides. There's PRP, which is a really phenomenal uh, treatment where you actually use your own blood to heal and help. Uh, it has essentially has growth factors in it that you apply to the scalp or you can inject into the scalp and it can help uh, with hair. You have to have multiple treatments to really get a good effect with that one. Uh, I actually, I actually did that twice. And I have to tell you, it is, I used PRP with amniotic fluid and it's probably 1500 needles all over your scalp. And they try to numb your scalp as this is through my functional medicine MD. They try to numb your scalp as best as possible. But when I tell you, it is one of the most painful experiences I have ever had. And I'm all for trying all different types of protocols. Um, usually when a new protocol comes in, they call me because they know I'm a great guinea pig. I'll, I'll pretty much try anything, right? I love all this anti-aging stuff, right? But that is really, really painful. And um, I did not really see great results, to be honest with you. Yeah, I that, that therapy, I used to do a lot of that when I worked in Hollywood at a clinic and uh, it is very painful. Uh, for even even when you numb, uh, the exosomes are similar, so we cause microtrauma mm -hmm. and then we apply exosomes in a similar way to awaken the the stem cell in the hair follicle, and so uh, yeah, but they're 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 painful. So a lot of people will start with lower interventions like adding, looking at diet, nutrition, mm -hmm. having enough B vitamins, and making sure they have uh, sufficient iron levels. Their thyroid is healthy. And then, you know, progressively, as uh, we can kind of go up that therapeutic order and, and use something that's a higher level intervention if we need to, because it is expensive. Uh, you know, there's a healing time. It's painful. Yeah. And so there's other things that can be done. There's red light therapy as well, which I like to use systemically, but uh, you can just buy a red light therapy box and you can use it for your face and your hair and your scalp. Well, they actually make the red light therapy helmets now that you can wear at home and the ads just crack me up. You know, it's like the husband and the wife laying in bed, watching TV, their day is done. And, you know, either the husband or the wife has the, this crazy helmet on and they're just sitting there chilling out and you're just like, 
<laughs> it's not the scene I want to create for myself. <laughs> I've, I've seen that too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I. I think you can just, so I just have the box and I use that because you can get your, get it close enough to your scalp, but there are the caps. Yes, there are. Yeah. That you can use for that as well. Uh, yeah, there are medications that can be used, minoxidil, finasteride. We don't typically like to use something like finasteride long-term. Uh, typically that's used in men. There's a lot of side effects to many of the medications. Uh, but there are medications. And those are two of the ingredients you find in the hair serums that a lot of practitioners um, dole out. Yes. So are you not a fan of the serums? You can use, the topical is better than if you use uh, an oral form, right? You don't want to use an oral form long-term of something like finasteride, but the topical can be used a little bit uh, longer and still have a, a beneficial effect. Yeah. I think those can be used in the right time and place. There's, there's just so many factors. Sometimes applying something topical doesn't really get us the results because it's an internal issue. And that's mm -hmm. really where I acknowledge that having a dual prong approach where we have some things that are working topically, we have, we're definitely addressing maybe the root cause of it, whether it be hormones or gut health uh, and, and going from there. So I think it can be a solution. Do genetic SNPs or genetic mutations play any role in hair shedding, hair loss, thinning? Good question. I'm not a expert in uh, epigenetics and, and studying genetics, but what I can comment on that is we know that genes are like a light switch. And so there's certain experiences that can happen to us, whether that be a trauma or a, a, you know, an emotional event that we haven't really healed from and we're not processing and it's kind of hidden in our nervous system, that that can flip on a, a gene switch. And that could be, uh, we see this happen in almost like an autoimmune individual where they have now these pro-inflammatory cytokines and they're now in an attack self uh, signaling. And so I think that can definitely happen we know that a lot of those high inflammation levels are linked to hair thinning and hair loss. Mm -hmm. uh, TNF-alpha, IL-6, IL-10, these inflammatory, pro-inflammatory cytokines that are floating around, they definitely play a role. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if there's any specific genes like there is like COMT or MTHFR. I'm not sure that we've discovered anything that has that clear of a link yet. But we do know that your environment and your emotions and, and the food that you eat and uh, these things can turn or on or turn off specific genes that could be related to the inflammation or the stress response. Besides the protein, what other nutrients are really key for healthy hair growth? Yeah, so I think about I think about zinc. Uh, I think about iron, right? How iron is found in meat. A lot of protein products, vitamin B12, when we think about how important that is as well. Um, vitamin D, right, is a really critical nutrient. It's a pro-hormone, so it functions like a hormone in the body. So if we're low in vitamin D, we definitely want to optimize that. I think about vitamin C as being really critical to repair uh, not only skin, but can be helpful in quelching some of those pro-inflammatory cytokines or that inflammation 
mm-hmm. from happening as well. Uh, those are the ones that come to mind. Yeah, healthy fats um, could be potentially a good idea, but any sort of um, some of the antioxidants can be helpful. Yeah. And what are the three things a woman can do right now, starting today, to help support healthy hair growth? Yeah. So I would say focusing on the quality of how you're digesting food. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I love uh, taking, I take enzymes with every meal. And I have a friend it's a couple and they're they're older and they look you know 20 years younger than their age because they've taken enzymes their entire life and so i think that that plays a huge role in how we're able to absorb food and it, of course it depends on your diet whether you're eating more meat or or less but uh, but i think that can be really powerful is to have some sort of enzyme support and you can get that in food too right so some there's bromelain a lot of foods have natural enzymes in them as well uh, but if not, if it's a, a meat, then taking an enzyme can be really phenomenal. The other thing I would say, uh, since we talk so much about cortisol and that stress response, is having strategies to uh, bring your body and your nervous system back down if you are under a lot mm-hmm. of stress on a daily basis. We just know all of the long-term side effects on hormones, on hair loss. Stress is a huge player, and if we don't, do things to bring that cortisol level down, we're, we're missing a huge part of the puzzle uh, in my mind for uh, general wellness, but also for hair loss and hair gain. So meditation, prayer, journaling, uh, being out in nature. I went for a walk, barefoot walk on the beach this morning and just having either the bookends of your day or doing something in the middle of the day that refreshes you and and bring grounds you and uh takes your nervous system out of that fight or flight state that we all can can be in at some point in time and so the cortisol is a big piece dealing with uh, trauma (laughs) that can keep our nervous system in a high cortisol state so emotional trauma from the past yeah about the aces that's a big one and i think the last trying to think of what what would be the last thing um yeah the stress picture and then you know for women i think um looking at thyroid hormone could be really really helpful too that's a huge player in hair thing and hair loss so how can we support our thyroid avoiding a lot of these environmental exposures we know Mm -hmm. that there's so many uh, beauty products and things that we have in our water and our food that can interfere not only with sex hormones, but with our thyroid hormone. And so uh, just looking at your exposures, you know, cleaning up your water, cleaning up some of your beauty products can be really life-changing for women. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, w- I would like to add to that, that when I was going through my first bout of hair shedding um, and having a major life change, I sought out a therapist. I needed the support of talking about all of these things going on in my life. And there's no shame in that. And so many um, people let shame get in the way of making a better decision for themselves. So I say, just throw it out out on the table, talk about it, get a great therapist while you're going through this. And that will absolutely help your cortisol levels come down. And the other one I wanna add is about the non-toxic lifestyle that 
took me many years to um, adjust to. And I slowly weaned out different types of products in my home, not just for myself, but for my children as well. Um, and there are, it's very difficult when you have a, um, when you use a line of facial products that you know are not toxic free, but your, maybe your um, esthetician highly recommends them. Maybe you're spending some money on medical facials. And so you want to use the right products. And most of the time, these products have some toxins in them, right? They have a lot of great stuff, but they might have some toxins too. And going through that breakup of not having your favorite creams and ointments and, and sprays uh, can be very hard for people. It seems so easy to do, right? But it can be very hard. People get very attached to things that they use on their skin and in their home and absolutely take a look at that because I can tell you as someone who has the MTHFR genetic mutation that toxins do set you off and it creates a really negative uh, a negative like spiral effect in your life and you don't really get what it is. So always starting with blood work, finding out the most information you can about yourself, about your genetics, and then adjusting your lifestyle to that is really important um, for people to do. And it takes time and it takes patience. Uh, my last question before we end is what are your top three favorite foods to eat for healthy hair support. I know we talked about nutrients, but now I want to know what are your top three foods? Ooh. So I love, um, I love chia seeds actually. And, and sometimes I'll use them when somebody can't sleep at night because they, they have protein, fat and fiber all in one. So they're, they can satiate blood sugar as well. Uh, so that's, that's one that I think can be really, really helpful. Uh, and then I have, so I have a protein powder that's like a, a medical food, and I recommend it for a lot of my women, but some sort of uh, protein-rich food. And that, that could be, you know, uh, grass-fed beef, but sometimes when I'm on the go, something like a really robust, nutritious, all-in-one protein can be really phenomenal. Uh, what else would be really good? You know what I do? So in the mornings, what I'll I'll drink bone broth, um, just plain bone broth before I eat anything, and that is not only do I have more mental clarity when I do that in the morning, but it's just rich in amino acids, and you mm -hmm. want to make sure you get the one that has about nine grams of protein per serving, not the the vegetable broth or the broth that has one or zero grams of protein. You want to get the high protein one, but that's one of my favorite things to do and I recommend that for women as well. It can help even if they're easing into more of the intermittent fasting uh, diet where they're, we're looking at lowering inflammation. That can be really helpful. So bone broth would be my third one. Speaking of intermittent fasting, what do you recommend for women? There's so many opinions out there, whether going over 12 hours for a woman is too much or if being on you know, an 18 to 24 hour cycle of fasting is okay. Uh, for me with a thyroid issue, I 
take it on the minimum side of things and don't go over 12 hours. But I know there's a lot of disputes over that. Yeah. So I, I'll run an adrenal panel. I'll look at the Dutch test or, or a four point cortisol, and then I'll look at the thyroid panel and then I I'll make specific recommendations. So if a woman is really not under a lot of stress and she has a great working thyroid and she doesn't have any symptoms around that fasting is going to be a, an option, more of an option for her. But for a woman who, you know, example, me, when I was going through medical school, trying to do 18 hour fasts, it just, it would cause more harm than good for me to have those blood sugar dips. You know, when we're under a lot of stress, we just don't have as good blood sugar regulation. And so, uh, yeah, it depends on adrenal function. If you're under a lot of stress right now in your life, and if you have a history or current thyroid issue, if you're on medication, uh, but yeah, I think I think fasting for a, a window of time, that 12-hour window, for most people is a phenomenal thing for cellular repair, um, letting your digestion, repairing your gut lining, uh, helping with elimination the next day, helping with liver detox. So I think for most women, 12 hours is good. Uh, if they're depending on their adrenal and thyroid function, I'll, then I'll make a, a recommendation around fasting. Okay. One more question before we go okay. that I just thought of exercise. Yeah. Mm. Some women don't get enough exercise and yeah. some women over exercise. The over exercising can be another form of stress on your body and can yeah. absolutely cause problems. Yeah. What are your recommendations on an exercise routine for, uh, for, let's say a woman like me, middle-aged, having hair shedding issues, trying to manage it all, what would you recommend? Mm, I love this question. Yeah. So we know that exercise increases cortisol levels and in the morning when we want that nice cortisol rise, that's great, right? It's, we want, we want a little cortisol boost, but if you're under a lot of pressure and stress in general in your life, and then you go, uh, you mm -hmm. know, run 10 miles every day, that is an additive, that is a double cortisol hit, right? So that can definitely contribute to the hair thinning and hair loss, kind of burning the candle from both ends. Same yeah. with drinking a lot of coffee, that'll spike your cortisol, not sleeping enough, there's blood sugar regulation issues. So if we're, we have kind of the perfect storm of little sleep, high training and lots of stress in your daily life. And there's a lot of women in that category. Yeah, we wanna do more of those restorative exercise practices, right? So we wanna bring down that cortisol level. Uh, sometimes women can't quit their job. They can't quit being a mom. They can't quit right. these other life stressors. So how can we do more walking, uh, more of the yin yoga, stretching, uh, bar classes, anything that's going to be a little more relaxing for the nervous system and not spike cortisol, like maybe an ultra marathon or a intense three hour bout of exercise. Yeah. Yep. That's great. You know, it's so hard for us women to just stop for a second and think, okay, let me feel how my body is feeling. It's send it, your body's always sending you messages, right? And sometimes your body has to scream at you for you to listen. And that might look like a very big health issue. And my words of wisdom to that is 
really learn how to listen to your body because it is talking to you for a reason. And I love exercising. I love, I, I don't really love doing all the hit crazy stuff, but I love to exercise. And there are days where my body says, absolutely not. Do not even put on your exercise pants, right? Don't even look at your gym shoes. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me to listen to that because I find that to be, you know, my one hour of time to just focus on myself. And it's, it's something that all of us women really have to start to pay attention to is the messages coming from our body, no matter what that message is. So Dr. Amber, thank you so much for joining me today. What an intriguing conversation on hair loss. It's, it's the worst, the worst. And, um, it seems like you can never get a handle on it, but you have given us some very good strategies, some very good scientific um, information on, I love the whole peptide therapy. I think if anyone is out there listening and you haven't had a consultant, had a, a consult with someone like Dr. Amber on peptide therapy, give her a call, even though she's in LA, because it is, um, I've used them and they work and they, it's, it's just an incredible holistic approach to um, not just hair loss issues, but there's all different types of peptides that work for different um, responses, whether it could be your libido, it could be repairing from an athletic um, injury, there's, it could be migraines, there's all different ones out there. So at the end of this, um, I will add all of Dr. Amber's contact information, all of her social media handles, and I suggest giving her a call. And we are going to do another podcast on just peptides because now I'm like super excited to dive in deep on all of those. So I'll be contacting you again. So thank you again. Such a pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely. You're so gracious to have me on your podcast. And yes, let's do this again. Yes. All right. Have a great day. Everyone else have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.